Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here, once again joined by James Benj, which means only one thing, it is time for Inside Arsenal, extra time, and there is plenty to discuss today after a very good night of Champions League football for Arsenal last night. James, hello, how are you getting on mate, all good? I'm I'm great, it was a lovely night wasn't it, all the more enjoyable based on events elsewhere, I don't know if you kind of got to see the end of... uh... Certain other games, and uh, can we be outside Manchester United for the start of this show? Outside, um, not inside Arsenal. Outside, no, outside United. Manchester United. I just watched the highlights of that game actually randomly the exact time that you messaged me and said I'm just watching the highlights of Manchester United. It was honestly, I just <laughs> finished and I was watching some of the Arsenal highlights, and you said, "Can we spend five minutes talking about Manchester United?" Um, maybe not five minutes because this is inside Ten? Arsenal at the time. But it was pretty funny. It was a crazy, crazy game uh, from the highlights. Anyway, I didn't see it all. And um, yeah, it never rains, but it pours at the moment for Manchester United, does it? It is truly, um, it is truly a, a disastrous state that they are in. And I, I, you know, you know, objective journalist hat. I can tell you lots of interesting thoughts I have about Eric Ten Hag and the ownership. But equally, and I think. Whoever you support, unless you support Manchester United, it, it is quite funny. It's just very funny. Um, Ten Hag sort of seems to be flailing around entirely without a plan. I thought that game had some sort of fairly ridiculous refereeing decisions. I actually think the Rashford ones are red, um, but neither of the handballs are fair at all. The handball um, decisions are a joke. How is that? How are they penalties? Seriously, how is that a penalty? How are either of those penalties? It's a- they're just laughable how that can, those can be penalty. I don't get it. I do agree. I think Rashford was, I think he was really unlucky. I think he was trying to protect the mm. ball and he just unfortunately stepped on the guy's foot. 
I, I don't know if that's a red card for me because there's no intention whatsoever to do it. Yeah. It's just a mistake. It does hurt the guy. When you look at the steal, of course, it's going to end up being a red card, but he's not trying to hurt the guy. He's trying to... You, we've all done it when you play. You know, you put your foot over mm. to take the ball and unfortunately it just goes on a guy's foot. You're not looking at him or anything. So, I don't know. I think he's a little bit unlucky there. But, um, yeah. I mean, penalty doesn't really matter. No, I, I, I get that. I can see why he was sent off. I can definitely yeah. see why he was sent off. It, it's just it's one of those things that happens to you when your luck is entirely out, isn't it? Is mm. Marcus Rashford gets sent off for that, and you get you think your luck breaks with a, a one hand ball, but it's only balancing out the one at the other end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad game, uh, but mad yeah, game. very funny, very sorry. funny, very funny. But 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 a mad game, and um, yeah, they've got it all to do. Now. The, the craziest thing about it is that they've lost three of their four games, and they're still only one point off second in that group. <laughs> it's uh, it's mad, and. They're going to have Bayern, aren't they? They're already qualified. So they might just be able to get themselves out of it still and sneak, and sneak through. But um... Well, I, I know Arsenal fans of a certain vintage will um, be well aware of what a Galatasaray away game is like. So they would have to get something from that game, wouldn't yeah. they? Um, yeah, pretty else, much. Right? That is going to be a hell of an atmosphere. Do you remember the old classic Welcome to Hell Man United, yes. Galatasaray from back in the day. It's going was to be... that United? Cause... Yeah, yeah, that was it. United. Canada, Canada and Fergie's team back then. It was about 94, wasn't it? 93, mm. 94, something like that. And um, I remember watching that as a kid and seeing the, the arrival at the airport and stuff like that. And you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen nothing like it before. So, yeah, it's going to be one of an atmosphere uh, at that ground. It, it really is. I mean, they owe us one for 2000, don't they? So, yeah. Make, make, yeah. make Arsenal's day. By, you know, knocking them out of Europe. All right, we're going to talk about Arsenal in the Champions League as well, not just Manchester United in the Champions League, um, because there's plenty to talk about. I did do a show sort of reflecting a little bit on it this morning, but plenty more to talk about. We've got quite, quite a lot of questions as well that people have sent in for today that we'll get stuck into sort of in the second half of this episode as well. But before we get to last night's action, um, I've wanted to... I, this is the first time we've sat down and talked. So oh, yeah. Glory came out, and I wanted to talk about it because I know, I know your view, kind of know your views on this potential subject. But Ivan Tony to ask. Obviously, we're getting close, <laughs> we're getting close to January now. We're getting close. Where are we? November the ninth. So we're we're under two months from the January transfer windows. I think it's it's all right to start talking about January a little bit more seriously now. Um, I think we've all just about recovered from the summer. And this story came out. It actually came out on the day of the West Ham game last last week when mm. we were both at the London Stadium. And it was on the screens at, in the press room down below and they were talking about it on the screens. The Brentford won 100 million for Tony in January. A player we know Arsenal like. I don't know how serious that interest is. Obviously, there's been stories that it's serious from certain places, but you know, I don't know how I don't know if they're gonna actually push ahead with it. Mm. A hundred million pounds for for Ivan Tony. Did did you see Mikel? Were you there? Were you in Mikel's presser? And I think it was Moose asked him about no, it it last week one. before the um before the Newcastle game. He asked, asked him about Tony. Quite it was asked quite well that question, wasn't it? Because Arteta couldn't just say we don't talk about other people's players. Yeah, exactly. And so he did talk about it a little bit. Like this is is this now just kind of the going rate? Does every player has to be valued at one hundred million pounds? Now and I like Tony. You know I like Tony, and I think mm. it would be a fairly decent move if Arsenal signed. I'm not saying he's the answer. I think there are plenty of other strikers out there, and I'm sure they could do just as good a job. But 100 million for me feels too much, and I know <laughs> for you, that oh, is yeah. definitely that is definitely too much, isn't it? That's not something you you'd think Arsenal should be doing. 
No, I, I really wouldn't. I mean, I, as I said at the time, I thought 60 million for a, he seemed to be 28. It's, you know, it's, I, I think Ivan Tony would come in and, and play really well for Arsenal mm-hmm. uh, and, and get lots of goals and add something different. I just like the, the maths never quite make sense for me, given the uncertainty over, you know, what sort of player he'll be when he comes back, because we just don't really know. There's not many examples of players coming back from a ban like this. Um, it's like coming back from an injury when you're in your late twenties. It's hard to know. Um, so no, a hundred million, and I'm sure that's what Brentford want, but like they might ultimately accept less if there's a compelling offer, but that's a huge amount of money. And I think know, they're Declan- pushing it. If they, if they, if that, if that's, you know, genuinely the price tag that they were looking for or going to enter the market for in January, I think that, then never, no one's going to pay that surely for a player who's how old is he? He's 28 or he's, he's about 28, to turn 28. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, and their view would be now. that, like, interestingly, they have Brentford have sort of similar to, to Arsenal with Thomas Partey. They've got Johan Wisser and Brian and Bremo will be going to AFCON. So they'll just have got Tony back. And I think if they sell him right at the start of January, that is them going into the rest of the or a month, a key month of the season with no strikers. They, they would be fine. They wouldn't get relegated or anything, but, you know, they're not going to want to do that to themselves. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have to say the more, I just, I just don't, I, the, the numbers don't add up for a player that, who is really, really good. But if I'm spending that, I'm, I want a sort of Declan Rice return in terms of quality and years, mm-hmm. like a hundred million for someone who's 23 and performing like Ivan Tony. Yeah. For a striker, have my money to be honest. But um, at that age, with all the uncertainty, I just don't think you get you get value for money. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I as much as I do like Ivan Tony, I think this this would be a step too far, that sort of that sort of money. And I agree, if you're going to spend that sort of money now, and I don't think we can come, we can start to normalise 100 million. I don't think we're, we're quite there yet. I know we're seeing more and more of it, but I don't think that is that is the norm. You can't, players can't just be worth 100 million because they're decent players. There has to be something like Declan Rice, and we'll talk about Declan Rice in, in this because, you know, he's literally worth every penny and more of what yeah. Arsenal paid West Ham for and just an absolute steal at 100 million, which sounds mad to say, yeah, I know. but he genuinely is and he just impresses me more every single game I see him, but he's got so much more to give so much more to improve. You can see that in his game. He's so young A player like Tony at his age with his contract status. It's just too much. I I do wonder if that is, you know, that that is what they're looking for in January. If that is something that would fall fairly dramatically come the summer, you know, Mm -hmm. as what you said, sort of halfway through the season, losing players to AFCON, that sort of thing. They're just not in a position to want to sell him in January. So maybe this is just to sort of warn off the suitors, so to speak. And then, that price tag could potentially... Well, I think it would have to come down in the summer anyway. One year left on his contract. One year left on his contract. You couldn't do it. And um, it's going to be interesting what Arsenal do. I had a question here, actually, um, sort of related here. I was going to talk about Thomas Partey and Anne Ramsdale. Let me just read this out. It's from Samuel Williams. It says, Hi, Charles. One for you and James. I've been wondering a lot about FFP and how it works. I wanted to bring my thoughts to two football heads to get a better understanding. Obviously, in the summer, we had to get the Raya deal through as a loan instead of an outright buy deal. Does this mean that we may still have to do this in January summer if we don't make any sales or does it slowly alleviate? Thanks in advance up the Arsenal. I wish I could absolutely clear this up 100% for him, but mm. I can't. And and I'm very uh, aware of things that we can say that are going to suddenly get clipped mm. up and 
aggregate and turn in stories and Arsenal have to sell to 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 buy players. So I just don't I don't know is the basic answer to that question. Um whether Arsenal have to sell in January before they can buy. There are clearly going to be players who I think would be of interest to some clubs in in January. I think the fact, you know, the Raya deal did say a lot about where Arsenal's finances were after another heavy spend in the summer. I don't think that's going to change drastically come January. Um but do you think or would you envisage that any sort of significant outlay in January to bolster the squad might have to come from some, you know, fairly big player sales or at least one fairly big player sale? Yeah, I mean, like you say, what we're doing here is kind of informed speculation, so to yeah. speak. It it doesn't help that since the the Cronkies took ownership of Arsenal finances are financial information is a little bit more sketchy and infrequent um i mean again that, the other point is what we don't know is if arsenal saw the right player out there on the market in january that they could go and get and that would mean not going to get that player or that player type in the summer you know we don't know what Stan and Josh's response would be when yeah. Mikel Arteta and Edu pick up the phone and say, you know, look, we can do this deal now or we can do it in January. Um, which obviously was kind of what they were doing with Mudrick, what they were doing with Caicedo. Um, yeah. And then they got a bit reactive and and spent significantly less. Um, yeah. As I say, the answer is we don't, we don't really know for, for certain. We don't have access to the finances. But we can make an informed... We can have an informed view on it based on Raya. But I mean, even that Raya deal, someone was saying to me, if the plan is always to buy him, why could you not do like a sort of three million pound down payment on a permanent transfer? Now maybe Brentford just just don't want that. Like maybe I but but that would be from FFP terms, that would be exactly the same. I, I don't understand the answer to that one. And I think that Raya deal has sort of prompted a lot of confusion almost from the minute it came out there, but mm. yeah, don't want to give people answers. We don't know. Um, because as you say, one, it could get clipped up now and two, it would definitely get clipped up in January. Yeah, it definitely would. Yeah. I don't, I like, like you said, it, it's impossible to tell. And I certainly haven't been told that they need to sell to, to bring players in. Um, I think it would obviously help, but you sort of go back to what Arsenal did last January. And I remember going into that month thinking they spent a lot in the summer there was word that they're probably not going to do that much business at, at one point. And then suddenly, you know, they were bidding nearly a hundred million for Mudrick. They were going for Caicedo. They still ended up signing three players, you know, Trossard, once Trossard, who was it? He came in, Trossard, Jorginho came in and suddenly Kivior came Kivior. in out of nowhere yeah. as well. And, you know, they spent heavily there. And like you said, if, if an opportunity arises for a player who potentially they might have earmarked for the summer and they could get it done in January, they could find the money to to do that. But Kivior, I know for a fact, was not just that player type, he was that player. You know, they were it, it was intimated to them that everyone knew they wanted to sign him in um in the summer. Would they like to get him in through the door in January as well? I think people around Spezia told them that. And I think the one thing you would say about that is I think Kivior, when he's come in looks like that sort of good squad player who's had six months to settle into the team. Yeah. So I think the other thing to say is, yeah, you know, deals like Kivior and Jorginho Trossard, they've worked out pretty well. And that might encourage Arsenal to sort of say, let's not be afraid of bringing business forward if we can. 
yeah yeah so samuel i'm, I'm sorry we can't absolutely clear out that question i just think useless there's, there's a little bit too much uncertainty still as we we head towards january and um and also people at the club aren't that keen to talk at the moment when it comes to january transfer window um i mean they're not quite they're not keen to talk when it comes to transfers in the best of times but certainly two months beforehand but um yeah if we do get any sort of clearer picture on that as we approach the window then we will of course discuss it right let, let's talk about last night now james shall we go over um what was a fun night at the emirates it wasn't a thriller minute it was just one of the most one-sided easy controlled games i have seen in a champions league against a you know what is well it's a decent team i mean what they they won the europa league last season didn't yeah they? was it last season they won the europa league it was certainly um i can't remember the europa league final did they beat yeah they did didn't they, didn't they, beat, roma? Like, yeah. did they beat roma in the final they beat, they beat roma in the, in the final yeah. yeah Mourinho lost his head yeah he did um and so, and they are a decent team, you know, seasoned European campaigners. Yes, they're missing a few players, but so are Arsenal. But God, they were bad, Sevilla. They were really, really bad. Arsenal were good and they controlled that game. And, you know, we'll talk about some of the star players in it. But I was really surprised at just how meek Sevilla were in terms of attacking Trent and what they were. They just didn't offer anything. It was They weren't in that game. It was almost, I mean, you know, we talk about the Europa League. Did they think that PSV and Lons were drawing or something? And they were like, look, you know, we'll we'll throw this game because obviously our priority is third place. Um, they have the Seville Derby as well, don't they, on Sunday? Mm. So it felt like this was low down their list of priorities. But, that's but that mad, in itself it? is baffling. It's that's bizarre. Yeah. Because they're at the halfway stage of a European uh, the, the yeah. group stages. You can get through, you know, come to London add and three, win and add, add three points to that to Sevilla on that group there and Arsenal are top on six and everyone else has five and Sevilla are totally in the hunt. Yeah. Um, I don't think that would have happened if Sevilla had named their strongest team because I think in both legs, Arsenal have looked far, far superior. Um, but it's really weird to see at this stage of competition, someone come in and throw their Champions League game against you. And to an extent, it almost it almost spoils a lot of the good stuff almost i don't think it fully does but it's it makes you question some of the the better stuff the better performances you saw mm-hmm. um you know certainly if you know coming out of that game i felt like i didn't learn much about david raya ben white zinchenko at left back you know the questions i had coming into the game frankly even trossard um were pretty uniformly unanswered because that the way that team played, that's you know that that's worse than any, even than Sheffield United that I've seen this season. Yeah, I mean they were dreadful. It was, it was almost like a little token gesture by Arsenal to give them that shot in injury time, just so they actually had a shot in ninety six minutes or whatever it was of of action. They just offered absolutely nothing. I mean, what do you do? You credit Arsenal at all with that? I think you have to. I think we have to in a way. When you say you sort of forget about some of the good stuff Arsenal did, but they did do some very good stuff and they dominated that game in a way that I'm sure Mikel Arteta will be sitting at London County today assessing it and going over it with the we are, and, uh, the analysts think, thinking this is the kind of control we absolutely want. This is mm-hmm. what I dream about when I talk about controlling games. You know, they dominated in midfield. Declan Rice was just exceptional. Jorginho is excellent as well. I think like the one time Sevilla threatened to get in behind, Saliba came back and did what Saliba does and... Um, 
so I think Arsenal, I think we, as, as bad as Sevilla were, we do have to credit Arsenal, I think, with a really professional, excellent Champions League performance that got the job done and put them in such a strong... Well, basically, they win against Lons now and that's it. It's not just group... It's not just through to the knockouts with one game to go. It's group winners with one game to go. So it's put them in a really, really strong position as that table there, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, can see with Arsenal sitting on nine points after four games. I really like that you mentioned that Saliba thing. Uh, the Saliba moments, it's the 40th minute in, it Pedrosa's through. And it there's a moment where you go, you, uh, he is through. He is like, you know, there's no catching him. He's going to score or he's going to get a shot away. And, you know, it, you know, I was very conscious. I wrote about this after the game, very conscious of who I'm comparing him to and that it, these are big words to use. But that was a Virgil van Dijk moment. That mm. was the, you know, actually Arsenal have got their defence wrong. And we should talk about how brilliant their defence is at the moment. They've got it wrong, but they have the best insurance policy that I've seen this season. Um, you know, it is the pace of Van Dijk in his prime. Uh, and the... Like, I don't think it's unreasonable to call it arrogance um, uh, or even disdain that Saliba sort of emanates. Like, mate, you thought you were clear of me? I'll be I'll be taking this ball back. Thank you very much. You're not even going to get into it. You know, Pedrosa wasn't even sh shaping to shoot. Mm -hmm. He hadn't even had time to settle himself to get the shot away when Saliba just et up the ground. Like the 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 joy is everything else defensively is working so well, but on the the one occasion every game where there is going to be one occasion in most games where it just slips you then have one person who can so often just cover it, cover it all up. Um, yeah, it makes you think about how different last season might have been if he was only fit, because right now, I'm, I'm just going to say it, and I keep like skirting around this in what I write and, you know, other pods and other things, but as it's our show, I think I can say, I think William Saliba is the best centre-back in the world. And, I mean... You know, I'm, I can't even, I mean, Ruben Diaz is probably the only person off the top of my head. I know there's some other good players, but the only other person I'm like, maybe Diaz is better. But I yeah, think Des Saliba Des is Des better. Desai said that Apamakano was better, didn't he, the other day, which <laughs> I thought was a really, really odd comment. I think, and he, he named he named two. He was one, and I can't remember who he said was the other one. It might have been Diaz. He also French. Could it be Canate? I think it was Canate. Was it? Because I thought um, it was, he was saying like he shouldn't even get in the France team. I was I was having this conversation during the game yesterday with the guy standing. Uh, I was going to say sitting behind me, but standing because we were all standing the whole game where we where we are. Um, and uh, if you're watching, hello. I've forgotten. Actually, I don't, I don't actually know your name. I bumped into you twice now, and uh, we were chatting the whole way through the game. And I said to him during a conversation about Saliba, I think he's the best defender in the world. I think he's the best centre back in the world. And um, and he was saying, you know, yes, it's. He's kind of underappreciated a little bit in France, and I and I think he he hasn't played that well. He hasn't repeated his Arsenal form when he's played for France, has he? Mm. And we were saying that we're saying that's actually not that bad a thing because it means when he goes away on international duty, he's getting a bit of a rest. Yeah, fine by me. So it's like by all means, let that continue for a while. But I agree. I don't. I wouldn't want any other centre back mm. at my club right now than William Saliba. I I genuinely wouldn't. He would be mm. my. He would be right up there and I think it's the fact he signed on a long-term contract at Arsenal and Arsenal have got him 
it's just it's so it bodes so well for the future and not and uh, last night yesterday was great he barely had anything to do but Newcastle at the weekend as well he was so good in that game under pressure and you know in that sort of high intensity type type game he was really really good he's just got like you said it's that arrogance but it's not an arrogance you know in that sense of the word it's just like he knows he's that that good yeah and he kind of plays like that it's like Thierry Henry isn't it that those those players who know they're good and it's not that they're taking the mick out of everyone else. It's just it kind of looks like they are because they're so much better than them. And they've got those tools to be able to, like you say, turn on the afterburners and just w- run away from a striker who you think has got a chance of goal. And then suddenly Sleeper's just off and it's like, nah, yeah, that's just not happening, mate. You're, you're not you're not getting a shot away. You're not. And that's what he's got in his locker. And he's, yeah, he's just an exceptional talent. There's an amazing moment in the Newcastle game where he tries to do a Cruyff turn. He actually messes it up. And you would think it would be like panic stations. And he's just like, it's fine. It's fine. Same as when like three people press him. He has his back to goal and there's the pass on for David Raya. And he's like, bit easy that, isn't it? It's just eases his way around the press straight out to Ben White. Um, Because, I mean, his passing has got excellent. He's become more front-footed. I think Arsenal will be able to do so many more things with him over the coming years, I think he's now good enough to be, to do what John Stones does for City, or he could be, you know, one of the wider centre-backs, but I love, I love what he's doing now as the heart of that three. Um, I think he radiates composure. Um, and then with, with Jorginho and Rice ahead of him, it, it's just becoming the norm now that Arsenal's opponents do well to get two good shots on goal in 90 minutes. Mm. Um, Newcastle, let's be frank. And, you know, we have, I don't, I don't, I'm not desperate to talk too much about VAR, but that, that moment aside, they had nothing, nothing of any note. And that's the top um, scorers in the Premier City League. City as well. Game. City as well. Like you look mm. back on it, they had nothing. That's, these are the good teams as well as the bad teams. <laughs> Actually, I think the only team that's had much is Chelsea and I'm firmly putting them in the bad teams category. Um, it's, you know, and, and this is the, I mean, we talk about Rice as well, but the one thing I'm thinking about the Champions League is that tends to be the competition where you win with your defence. And I don't put Arsenal in the favourites, but like the more I see of this team and, you know, the same with Saka and Martinelli at the top of the pitch and how composed they are and how they've taken to this competition like a duck to water, I absolutely think it is possible with the right draw that this team could make a lot of noise in this competition. Yeah, I think that has to be the aim as well. I don't, I don't think there's anyone you can Arsenal should be fearing in this competition. Obviously, if you get Manchester City, that's going to be tough. If you get Real Madrid, mm. it's going to be tough. But I still think they can get through it. I, I really do. I think they've got the tools to do it. It's going to be very, very difficult, but they should certainly be aiming to go very deep in this competition. And when you've got players like Saliba and you've got players like Declan Rice, I mean, Rice yesterday... I was, I was genuinely <laughs> laughing at how good he was at times. And I, I compared it. I talked about it on my show this morning. I sent out a tweet. And it really, it just, all I could think of was when I used to play five a side. And there was always a few players. Like I was playing Power League and stuff like that. And you play the same teams. And you say so you come up against the same players every so often. And there's always a couple of players on those teams. Occasionally, you'd be like, oh, no, I hate playing against this guy. Because no matter what you do, where you go on the pitch, where you think you've got away from him, He's suddenly there again. And you're like, I just left you at the other end of the pitch. How are you there? How are you nicking the ball off me and going? And that's, he was just doing it all night last night. No matter where, 
that ball got turned over and suddenly Sevilla thought, oh, there's a bit of space to run into here. He was there and he's just been doing it all season, every single game. It's the same thing. And I almost feel like I, I'm just repeating myself when it comes to Declan Rice. He's just, he's so, so good. And he's just worth every penny of what Arsenal spent on him. And when you've got players like Rice, Saliba, even, you know, Gabriel, at that age, it just bodes so well for the future because they're only going to get better. And they're just, they're going to, if they stay fit, which is obviously a massive thing. We saw that at the end of last season when Saliba got injured. If they can stay fit for pretty much the majority of the season, Arsenal are going to go very, very close. I think there's still room for improvement in Arsenal. We know that. Going forward, they can still do more. They can create more chances. They need to create more chances. That's obvious. I think that will help, you know, when they get players back, that's certainly going to help with that. You can't deny the fact they're missing some really crucial players when it comes to going forward. But that spine of the team, that defensive nature of the team, the control that Mikel Arteta wants from his team, you're seeing it every single game now. They're so difficult to get past. They're so off the ball. They are such a good team now. And, um, you know, the players like Rice and Saliba are just so, so key on that. Um, Mark Man Bryans said this to me last night. So chat out to Mark, who covers Arsenal excellently for the Press Association. Um, I can't. I can't remember the specific player he chose as a Mister um, Seven out of Ten. So I will steal his idea, thinking it's somewhat Nacho Monreal. You remember? You know, you. I mean, we both had to do player ratings, didn't we, for Football London? Mm. And you wouldn't notice Monreal very much. You might check the stats, or you might kind of. In the 80th minute, going on rail, seven out of ten. Like Rice is doing that, but he's doing it at a nine out of ten level. Mm. Like we were saying, like, I don't remember a bad Declan Rice game. I remember a couple of games. No, I don't even remember it. Like, there's no game that stands out. It's like, oh, he wasn't quite at the races. Um, it's baffling to get that. What I, what I like about him as an eight, and I still think his future for Arsenal is a six, but if he plays as the eight, He's an eight and a six, isn't he? Because like you were saying, Jorginho is, or he's he's coming back from nowhere to plug every single gap. Um, yeah, the team becomes so much e easier to work with um, when you've got Rice holding down the middle. Brilliant. And like you said, at the top of the show, 105 million, like, pfft. I feel like we owe West Ham some more money on that. Yeah. Only fair? Did you want another thirty million? <laughs> Absolutely, he's that. He's that good. He's worth every penny and more. What Arsenal paid on, and I thought Jorginho played well yesterday. And obviously, that yeah. he was, it was such a crucial pass to sort of open up Sevilla and break the deadlock in that first half, which was a really you know key moment in the game. But I thought all round he had a good game, Jorginho. But I just kept thinking, watching this, watching it yesterday, just thinking, I'd love to see for a prolonged period of time a totally fit Thomas Party and Declan Rice playing together in that midfield for Arsenal. I just think it is such an exciting prospect. Hopefully we're going to see it over the second half of the season. Because you add Party and his ability into that mix and you got and you got Rice doing what he does and it's just going to make Arsenal even more difficult to beat, even more yeah. difficult to get past and you know it's a real tantalizing prospect and like I said hopefully we do get to see that in the um in the second half of the season. You you mentioned 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. A minute ago, how sort of Martinelli and Saka had sort of taken like Ducks towards this, this competition. Obviously, they both had a very good games yesterday. Um, I think it was uh, Bukai got Bukai got the UEFA man of the match, didn't he? And Gabby got voted the fans player of the match this morning. Uh, the the big one, though, is that the CBS Sports James Benj presents Champions League Team of the Week in which Bukayo and not Gabby got the nod, which I, I'm yet to hear from Bukayo on, but I'm sure he's over the moon. Who did you play? Who did you put as left winger then? I had to put Rafael Leao because you know what? Sevilla were rubbish and Rafael Leao had a, a pretty brilliant game against PSG in a match Milan had to win. Uh-huh. I feel I felt bad. I felt bad not putting Gabby in. But look at that but, stat. Look at that stat. I know. No, I thought I honestly felt sad for uh Juan Lee Sanchez. I, I was like, this is this is getting so embarrassing. The one thing I would say about that, and again, I mentioned it in my show this morning, is that Gabby had him on toast every single time. He knew what, you know, it was so, It was just so obvious what was going to happen. It was get the ball out to Gabby. He was going to knock it past him and go, and he was gone. You know, Sanchez had mm. no response. He just couldn't stop it, which I, I imagine that there's that sinking feeling if you're the fullback. Probably the first time it happens, but you realise straight away, like, oh, no, this is going to be a really long night. And he must have got that sinking feeling really early on. But the one thing I would say... He didn't make enough of those situations. Gabby a bit, yeah. into the box wasn't great. And it was right where I sit in the first half. It was constantly in front of me, you know, and we were seeing it so close hand. He was just, he just could beat him for fun every single time. But each time he then got into the, got to the byline, got to the box. And then he wouldn't pick out an Arsenal man. And, and there was opportunities. So like Havertz kept getting into decent positions in the box and he wasn't getting picked out. Uh, you know, Trossard. And I thought Gabby could have made more out of it, given the amount of times he did beat Sanchez and get to that byline, but he did play very well and he obviously got the assist in the second half for, for Saka's goal and it was a really good assist. It was an important game for Bukayo as well, I think, given he's been pretty quiet the last few games. Um, you know, that was there were certainly signs he was back to his best. It was a lovely assist for, for the goal and the, his goal itself was a great finish, really good finish, actually. Um, and they have just taken to this competition, haven't they? And they've both been waiting mm. for it. They've, you know, Bukayo was desperate to play in the Champions League for Arsenal. That was a big part of sort of waiting before he signed his contract was to see if Arsenal were going to be in the competition. You know, Gabriel Martinelli, again, it's been his dream to play in the Champions League and he's finally there now. They, It says a lot about them, I think, doesn't it? How we, how with this, the ease in which they've adapted to this competition, albeit against not the greatest opposition. Again, we have. Right? Mm. 
but I, I think the thing, like you say, that that they do really well is they make the game, they make their section of the game play like play at a Premier League pace. Mm-hmm. You know, Juan Luis Sanchez, I think in in La Liga, I would assume. I must admit, I do not watch. Sevilla regularly and like after last night I won't be watching them very often again um I assume that you know La Liga it, it largely you know you have your Vinicius Juniors but largely it's a little more technical the pace is a little slower but aren't like Saka and Martinelli do not allow that to happen they just go they, they aren't and they're less worried about the sort of high turnovers and the risk of handing position possession straight back to Sevilla they've been running and running and running at, at their fullbacks all through this competition. Mm. I love it. I thought it was really interesting how um, Sevilla kept, I mean, partly because they, everyone was on a yellow card within about, like, you know, a foul away from a yellow card, I should say, within about 15 minutes. But they kept rotating their left back just to get someone, anyone that could slow Saka. Mm. And then sort of one loose there on the opposite side. He must have been like, lads, does anyone want to swap with me? And they were all like... You're all right. You deal with Gabby on your own. Um, it is, yeah, they they dictate the sort of tempo. It's interesting you, you sort of think, and I, I would broadly agree that Martinelli's delivery, I mean, I would certainly agree that Martinelli's delivery was poor. I did on a, and I think it probably is just dependent on which of the sort of eight times that he skinned Wanlu stays with you. But I, I did also think there were occasions where I'd just have liked a few more Arsenal bodies in the box, in good positions. Mm. It felt like you've got more of that last season. Trossard, that's not his great quality to be in, not just in the box, but in the right spaces that it's easy for Martinelli to get the ball to him. I didn't feel like there were always easy passes on for Martinelli when he got to the bite line. And look, in that part of the pitch, it's, you know, it is a bit of a crapshoot and you're going to, quite often get to that position. And even if you do things right, it will just get cleared. So better that he got there more often rather than focused on, on sort of getting three really good crosses in. Um, you've just got to keep getting there. And and he was brilliant and, and Saka excellent. Um, all the more so given that about 15 minutes in, he was very visibly limping as he often is. Yeah, he often is. Trossard obviously played as a nine yesterday with Eddie out. I thought he played well. He got the first goal. Again, that's his second goal, I think, in the Champions League, isn't it? He scored against PSV on the opening night. Um, he was speaking down after after the game, down in the mix zone. I've got some of these quotes here when he was um, sort of talking about playing the different positions. And he said, I always need to be switched on, to be honest. I always need to know my role, but I like it. I will never back down from anything. If you put me as a striker or a winger or a number 10, I will always play my game. I think Arteta knows I like to swap positions as well during the game. We have those type of players as well, and it creates a bit of chaos for the opposition team, I like it. I'm really happy, and I, I was I was quite happy seeing um, Trossard playing in that number nine. I think when you sort of look back in that second half of last season, when Gabby was out, obviously Eddie came in initially and did really well. But when Trossard came into that team, the three of them worked really, really well together. I thought last season, and you know, Gabby Gabby was playing well. Saka was scoring. Trossard was drifting all over the place. There was a lot of fluidity about them. And um, so I was quite happy to see Trossard playing as a nine yesterday. And I thought he played very, very well. And I've got a question here from um, KPAFC for us. He says, do you think given Sacramento and Ellie had their best games of the season yesterday, given the dynamics around them, should Mikel focus on getting the type of player who plays next to them in the eights right for the specific games? 
that we play to enable our two most dangerous attackers to have the best opportunity to impact and win us games. Um, they were really able to play their strengths. I liked how Tommy and Martinelli gave the ball to Martinelli and Ben White starts doing his runs. I'm just thinking about the sort of dynamics of how Arteta sets the team up and sort of picking and choosing players to get the best out of Saka and Martinelli. Mm. We saw Havertz playing in that sort of right eight role yesterday where he played against Newcastle. Um, and I thought we'll talk about Havertz a little bit because I want to talk about him. But I, I, I just wonder if Trossard's presence in that nine rather than the two eights specifically yesterday i thought wonder if trossard's presence in as the nine rather than eddie helped get a better type of performance or a more typical type of performance of what we're accustomed to from bakayo and gabriel yeah because bakayo and gabriel will always be more effective when they have more players close more attackers close to them that they can give and go with that can move maneuver the rest of the the defense into positions that allow them to get really isolated with their fullback. It's something Gabriel Jesus does really well. Yeah, it is not something Eddie and Getia does well. Um, you know, he he is going to be static. He is going to be sort of playing within the width of the six yard box. That is how Eddie and Ketia should play, and Arsenal have to therefore adjust everything else if Eddie and Ketia is the striker they're starting with. You know, open debate about whether that's the right thing. Um, yeah, I, I, I think Trossard really does bring that accelerative force. I thought Havertz did it very well as well. So much of it is about almost the touches he doesn't make because he's moved, he's moved his midfielder or his centre back infield, and there's that lane. And how often did we see both Saka and Martinelli isolated against the fullback? They never got that against Newcastle. So when we often when we talk about bad Saka games, I, I quite often think it's it's the player and bad Martinelli games. It's the players around them. Sometimes they will have bad games, but often it's all the players around them and the the space and how well the oppositions manage to to plug those gaps. Because especially against this Arsenal team without Erdegaard, without Jesus, if you can plug the flanks, like Arsenal aren't really going to kill you through the centre, are they? Yeah, I do. I, I think the the absence of Jesus has had such a big impact on Arsenal's attack. Obviously, I mean, that's a really easy statement to make, I suppose, because he's such a good player. But I think in terms of Gabriel Martinelli and Saka as, as well, especially Martinelli, because that partnership between him and Jesus is so good, it's no surprise that maybe we've looked at them this season and thought they've maybe not quite hit the heights that they hit last season. But that's not that big a surprise, I don't think, because Jesus hasn't been there. And also, I think maybe not using Trossard in that position at times has had an impact as well. I just wonder, as well as Eddie's done, I think he has done well, certainly in some games. But when I was watching that last night, I was just thinking, oh, I, I wish I'd seen this a little bit more this season, Trothard playing in that role rather than Eddie at times. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the, th the other thing with Eddie is there's nine, eights and nines out of tens and there's fours and fives out yeah, of yeah. tens with Eddie. Trossard, I mean, there's certainly been the odd nine out of ten, hasn't there? But there's just not that same delta like it is just a little bit more reliable. I think that's what you get with someone that's in their late twenties um, and established. And I, I, I certainly would like to see more Trossard and more Havertz minutes through the middle. And um, I mean, I, I want to say Eddie off the bench, but we've had that talk before, haven't we? That he's not a great sub. And I, I do worry um, right now about, about why there's so much variance in what Arsenal get out of Nketiah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd if if Eddie's back this weekend, if he's fit for this weekend, I'd still, I, you know, I'd rather see 
the same front three that we saw yesterday, providing Bukayo's fit as well. Havertz, let's talk about Kai Havertz. Uh, how we had a show yet? Yeah, well, we, we haven't spoke, talked. Well, we haven't spoken about Kai Havertz. But this is a good. Now these are quite small. I'm not really going to read these because yeah, I can't see a word. They're long, and I, I'm I've got them in bigger here, so I can actually see them better off. But um, a lot of the talk is about Havertz, kind of these, and there's one ones from Theo, ones from Franks, and ones from uh, Bay Boys. NYC, I think. Um, and a lot of it is talking about Havertz playing in this right-sided position. And they're saying, look, this, this was his best performance of the season, this and possibly Newcastle. And I thought Havertz mm. played really, really well yesterday. Well, no, no, that's pushing it, sorry. I thought he played well yesterday. Um, there was there was a lot that I liked about his performance yesterday. I thought his link-up play was really good. I thought there were some lovely little one-touch passes that helped get Arsenal going forward. I thought he was really unlucky with the shot. I love the fact he took that shot on, which he curled just past the post. Where I was sitting, honestly, I thought that was in. It looked like it was bending in the right side of the post. Um, obviously, again, he ended the game without a goal or, or, or an assist. But I liked what I saw from Havertz yesterday. And that's more. That's what I kind of want to see from Havertz going forward. And I thought Newcastle as well was a good performance from him in a really tough game. I thought he stood up to it very, very well. And do you sort of look at this position, the right-sided eight? Obviously, it's not going to be a long-term thing because when Odegaard's fit, he comes back. Yeah. You're not going to be playing Kai Havertz over my Odegaard, but now we're certainly not getting towards that territory. But um, is there an argument that potentially that is a better uh, position as some as Theo and Franks here sort of mentioned that it is potentially a better position for him than the left-sided eight role? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, at whatever level of football you've played, you know, I mean, and I have not played at a high level, but I was left footed and you want, you just, when, when you have, when you have your body open, you kind of want to be coming, coming in on your left foot, don't you? If you're moving kind of from an, a wide area and coming in to central positions, you'd rather be doing that on your strongest foot, especially because mm. let's be honest, Havertz's right foot is not, um, it's not one way you'd want the ball to be dropping to on the volley, is it? Um, I mean, it's interesting that you say, like, you know, when Erdegaard's back, I wouldn't want to see, you wouldn't want to see him on on the right. You probably, you probably are correct in that. But, um, I mean, I would be open to seeing what would happen because Erdegaard is sort of so much more technically vibrant. I would be intrigued to see what happened if you played Erdegaard on the left and Havertz on the right. Pick pick your moment for that. Don't do that at uh, Anfield as a first go and well, don't do that against uh, City or a Newcastle. But it's worth taking a look at that. I, I'm firmly of that that belief. Um but like you say it's it can't it can't be probably can't be the future for Havertz. Hopefully what he does take from this is is confidence and I, I got the feeling there was a, a little bit more of that but it, it always feels one step forward one step back doesn't it because you know that header is just such a I, I don't expect him to score with that header it, it but it, it, it feels clumsy it was a good and, chance it was a good chance it was it was a, yeah yeah he got it totally wrong it was a decent chance you you got to be testing a goalkeeper it was it was really yeah. difficult potentially to score from it but you got to be yeah, you got to be doing better than that. He just got it all wrong, didn't he? Just missed, mistimed he, it completely. He needs though. He needs one or two of those moments, sort of before Christmas. Um, I don't think it's a million miles away from Havertz. I don't think he's going to be a superstar. Um, 
I think, it, but he's not a million miles away from proving to be a really useful player for Arteta. Maybe one that throughout this season we go, oh yeah, but you know, is he the left? Is he the the long term left eight of your vision? But we would say, but he's fine for now. Um, yeah, I don't think that is is a long way away yet. And like like I said from the day he signed, like. There's a lot of rebuilding to do with Kai Havertz's career because when you you guys when the when when the guys asking really good questions and mentioning Leverkusen, my mind keeps going back to yeah, and then three years at Chelsea and that 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 three years he went through at Chelsea will can spoil a lot of careers, um, and that's the worry. It, it's a pro, it's a project signing, it's a rebuild, so it's nice to see the baby steps are now in the right direction because I thought he. Huh. He took some strides in the wrong direction early on. He did. It's tough to be a project signing when you're 65 million pounds and you're coming in and you're coming in from Chelsea, though, isn't it? And you've been in the mm, Premier League already for is. a few years. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I can understand it. Even yesterday, there was people around. I could hear sort of moaning about him at times, but I really thought that was a that was a, a decent performance for him. I thought, like I said, some of the link-up play was really, really nice. Some of the touches he was doing, and he was actually they were forward thinking passing as well like you said you, I can see signs that that confidence is is growing in him because he wasn't doing everything really really he wasn't taking the easy option all the time yesterday mm. you know he was trying that shot from outside the area going for the far post instead of laying it off yeah. some of the link up as I talked about was Saka he was doing the one touch forward pass that whereas before I'd see him sort of turn back and just play the easy pass backwards in in recent games and um and he's going in, he's just showing a bit of bite about him. And I think that's what we all wanted to see earlier on. It was like, it was all looked a bit too languid, which you can never criticise someone for their playing style or their running style. I always felt that's a bit harsh. You know, Ozil got pigeonholed with that, which was I always mm. thought was a bit harsh. But I did see more from, from Havertz in the last two games that have made me feel a lot better. Like you said, not necessarily that he's going to be a superstar and he's going to make himself an undroppable player in this team, but that he's become, going to be a useful player in this squad over the second half of the season. And, you know, maybe that's not what we wanted when he spent £65 million on a player, bringing him in for another Premier League club, but he could still well, could still prove to be a useful addition. And, you know, that's what I'm... I, I'm, I'm still not ready to write him off yet at all. And I'm certainly seeing mm. signs at the moment that, um, <laughs> as I'm saying that, there's a big rainbow just appeared outside my uh, my house. <laughs> and so maybe there is a pot of gold at the end of the Havertz rainbow. <laughs> at, at some point we shall... Uh, we uh, yeah we shall wait and see but there was there there was definitely a lot to like right let's move on to some questions before we wrap this up shall we we've had a few sort of contributions already in the sort of discussions we had but I've got a few questions now uh, before we sort of go here's one from Vet Para uh, hi James and Charles with regard oh, is that a doorbell yeah sod it oh who is it I know what it is it's 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 a uh, it's um the Amazing Spider Man Craven's Last Stand which I don't quite understand why they can't just put that. Th- through, uh, they've actually just rung the other door, but I'm looking forward to reading that. I'm going to read that on the tube on the way into London after this. Is it? Is that? Are you going to read that after you finish reading Revolution: The Rise of Arteta's Arsenal? I've finished reading that. I very much enjoyed it. Excellent. I'm glad you did. Uh, right. Hi, James and Charles. With regards to the left eight, I think the fan base is a bit naive when it comes to replacing Xhaka. Xhaka was so tactically adaptable, and he played basically all the positions on that side of the pitch. Remember how he dropped in at left back as Tierney bombed forward when Arteta first came in. He covered left back. He played box to box. Switzerland, I think he even played centre-back at Stamford Bridge after Louise got mm. sent off that one season with the Martinelli goal. It also took him seven years to reach that level. Given we signed Rice, I think Arteta feels that he can play a more attacking player in that position. I think one could argue that both Havertz and the ESR 
has played a few of those roles on the left, albeit in a more attacking sense. In other words, we have two players with all the attacking tools to potentially play that role. We are going to need a bit of patience, though. I think Havertz has had pretty decent in the last three games, and I'm a big ESR fan. Yeah, I... <laughs> I, th- I suppose this is going back to the Havertz debate that we've just finished, but that is that left eight role. It's just that one position at the moment, isn't it? Where you just don't quite know how the second half of the season is going to pan out of it. Is it going to be Rice? If party comes back, is Rice going to start playing there a lot, lot more? Is Havertz going to suddenly become this player who's going to make a crucial input week after week in that position? It is, it is the one position there are still plenty of question marks about in this Arsenal side, even when everyone's fit. I mean, uh, and weirdly, you know, certainly in that first paragraph when um, when Vet Vet Para was was sort of talking about Jacker, all I was hearing was uh, Alexander Zinchenko, and it was so curious again to see him end that game at right winger, and at no stage on his journey between those two positions did the left eight spot become available to him, mm. because. I, I I really do like I can't shake the sense that I want to see a midfield three of Rice, Erdegaard, and Zinchenko. And it feels like of the players that sort of could be available after the international break, I think that's the three that offers the best approximation of what Arsenal had last season. Mm-hmm. Um, Zinchenko can do all the attacking. We know that. We know he has defensive qualities. Um, probably, and the, probably his deficient defensive deficiencies are well covered by playing um, in central midfield as well. I don't, I don't know. I keep wanting to ask Arteta, and the time's never right. Or I want to ask Sinjenko, and I wait for nearly two hours outside the Emirates Stadium last night, and uh, we don't get to talk to him. Um, it, it's just sort of it, that to me feels like a really elegant solution that's just been left on the shelf. Mm-hmm. There must be a reason for it because like, like you said, when we spoke about this last, we thought he would get a lot of games and maybe even had just been signed to be the left eight. It feels like we might never see it. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it certainly doesn't seem to be any closer to happening. Um, some strike by Zinchenko, that volley last night, oh, that anywhere else, but straight down the goalie's throat, that is going to be one hell of a goal. Um, yeah, I, it's it's weird that position. I think it's like if everyone's fit, if that entire squad is fit. So I'm talking party, Timber, everyone. I I wonder who plays there. Like now, I think it's probably Rice. You know, I think yeah. for the season, and I think look, I think Rice has been brought in as party's replacement. I think he's going to be Arsenal's num- long term number six. But I think at the moment, maybe in this kind of transition period, I think if everyone's fit, party's the six and Rice is the eight because of maybe because of how Havertz has struggled to fill that role. I think at the start of the season, probably Havertz was, you know, that was the idea, but because he's struggled and we've seen that he struggled, he did not really contribute that much. I think right now, if everyone's fit, I think Arsenal's strongest team would be party as six and rice in that eight role next to Odegaard. And yeah, that's, I, I think that says a lot about the fact that other players haven't been able to sort of put their hands up and seize that position. Cause there's a position there for the taking. Absolutely. Vieira, Havertz, Smith Rowe, who was really unlucky to get this injury at the time when he just started to climb that pecking order from seemingly nowhere to basically getting towards the top of that pecking order. And then suddenly bang, another injury strikes just at the worst possible time for him, which is just a horrible, horrible shame. Um, but it is still, yeah, the one area of the, uh, of the team that there is big question marks over. Um, we, we didn't want to talk. You said you didn't really want to talk about VAR. Uh, no, I like I, this question, actually. I've, I've kind of been ranting a little bit about 
VAR a lot this week, too much this week. It's like every time I try and reason, talk reasonably about it, I end up ranting a bit because it just wound me up so much at the weekend. But um, Terry here says, I have one question for you and James about the controversy surrounding the goal at Newcastle. VAR is supposed to assist the referee in making a decision that is maybe inconclusive. There were three contentious VAR calls where VAR couldn't assist. So why wasn't the referee advised to look at the monitor to help make the correct call? Answer that, James Bench. It's a really good question um, because it comes down to how VAR works in practice. So do you watch much rugby, Charles? I suspect a lot of our audience won't either, will they? Not overly. I, I mean, I watch, I, I watch much of the World Cup. I'm, I'm a very... Yeah armchair rugby fans a big big yes. tournament i'll watch but i don't it's want a really to hard, it's, it's a hard one for for us i mean i used to play a bit and certainly watch a lot but it all happens at three o'clock on a saturday doesn't it so we can't watch it um but one of the things that's very good there about when a try for instance is scored is there are specific questions that the referee will ask and we will hear the referee ask them so one is for instance is there any reason why i can't award the try which is effectively saying I think this is a try, prove me wrong, which is how mm -hmm. VAR operates every time. But I think we all know, or we believe with a strong degree of certainty, that quite often officials are just sort of saying, well, don't know, award the goal and we'll let VAR work it out. There's a lot but of in that. This, yeah. And in this instance, VAR can't work it out either. But what I mean, there, I mean, there are options here. I have another favourite option, but but really, I think what should happen there is is that there should be a protocol in place that sort of VAR says, like you say, we can't. You know, the, the referee says, I've got these three issues, uh, or, or I don't did the ball go out of play, or I don't know if there was a foul there. What do you think? Or and that you know whether they advise him or they say you should overturn the goal or they just say you should go and re-referee this off the monitor. Um, as is, like, you know, I, I, I was very unwelcome presence on TalkSport where they said, uh, here's CBS Sports reporter and Arsenal fan, James Benj, do you want to talk about the Newcastle goal? And I was like, yeah, I think it's fair that it was given. And they were like, oh, uh, this isn't what you're supposed to do on TalkSport, mate. Go away. Um, I, I I think, you know, that the, the VAR had no choice but to give that goal to Newcastle because there was nothing they could do. But I think that... The, the referees had no idea hold whether on, that no, was no, a goal. No, hold on, hold on, I've got to pull you up. It's, sorry, except, except the push. You think that was a foul? I don't think it was I don't a foul. It was a be. foul. Sorry, you... It, I think it was a foul, but I don't think you can overturn every single foul in the no. current in the current setup. I No, I, I kind of agree, but you can overturn clear and obvious. That was a foul. <laughs> I mean, there's no way that is not a foul. How is it not? It's the just most... it's subjective. It's not subjective. It's a foul. Uh, you, since when have you been able to do that and not let that not be a foul? I just don't. Oh, I'm going to start ranting again. Yeah, let's let's skip that bit. I Can I take my other yeah. mad idea? But, but I, I think that's a really good shout. What you're talking about. I, I think there, there was a lot of that in that whole Newcastle decision. There was they weren't sure, and so and it happens in all the time. I think the referees now because they've got that safety net of mm -hmm. VAR. It's like I'm not going to make this decision and hopefully VAR can sort it out for me. But then that's really dangerous. Precedent, the the really, Diaz offside as well. Like. Yeah, but that's a really, it's really dangerous because if you're doing that, VAR aren't supposed to re-referee games. But if the referees on the pitch are leaving it for VAR, then it's like the whole thing's a complete mess because of that. And it doesn't mm. make any sense and it's not workable. And, um, can, I, uh, can I give you my, my crazy pitch? This comes from Michael Cayley, uh, uh, yeah. the double pivot. Um, get rid of VAR re-refereeing everything 
and replace it with VAR that is prompted by coaches' challenges. Let's say two a game, you know, like you have in cricket, like you have in a lot of American sports. And you basically then are saying, look, we know there's going to be mistakes in the game, but we sort of challenge you to know which mistakes you really want to get fixed. So let's say for that Newcastle goal, Mikel Arteta has, I, I, again, like they do in, in, you know, in the NFL, it's just sort of the silliest thing in the world. They throw a flag on the pitch. Um, the coaches, if they're upset, it's like some sort of 19th century challenging someone to a duel. Arteta would throw that on the pitch and Stuart Atwell would go over to the monitor and completely re-referee that and decide whether he thinks like on the balance of the evidence or whatever, that that's a goal. That's the one I really like because um, I think that just adds a little bit of like, you know how everyone says it kills the emotion? I think you get a lot of emotion from like, oh, the coach has challenged, the coach, ah, it's just, you know, review retained like you get in cricket. Mm-hmm. Um I'd really like that as well. Whatever it is, I think VAR at the moment is both humorless and ineffective. And I think that's the real worry with it. Yeah. I still can't believe you think that wasn't a foul. I think it was a foul, but I don't think it should get overturned. Why? Because it's you, a foul. you have to assume that you have to assume that Atwell saw it. So if I'm the VAR, I say Atwell but saw he didn't, it. He obviously didn't see it because it was a foul. <laughs> that, well, I, I don't know if what he, they're saying goes, to each if other. If he goes to the monitor and looks at that monitor, he gives that as a foul all day long. Yeah. All day. It's a foul anyway, i also i mean other people have said it i'm i i can't believe that var weren't especially with the bruno thing that they weren't thinking because now that mike dean said it we all think that with that bruno one var were looking after their mate Atwell and saying yeah. he is gonna get pelters if he hasn't sent havertz off and 100 and the, the re-spinning of the laws of the game over that incident has left me so baffled it's like oh it, he didn't use it as a weapon and it wasn't an elbow since when does it matter if it's not an elbow if you go around <laughs> and smash someone with your forearm? And if 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 hitting someone on the back of your head as you're running past with your forearm isn't using it as a weapon, what what the hell is? Do you have to rip it off your literally rip it off and then smack it around the head with it, with the other arm? I just don't I don't get it. Anyway, I'm not. It's, into this. it's typical Newcastle. That's the other thing I would I'd like to say is that is actually quite common in Newcastle, and no one talks about it because um, in spite of everything about that club, they are a little bit of a. Uh, media darling i would say i can say that i'm not in the british media plucky old newcastle plucky old yeah. newcastle when they're bravely under, spending under hundreds of millions mil- power. Uh, here's one from charlie j 1775 says hi charles james hindsight's 2020 of course but do you think the money men at the club may regret the emirates stadium design since there's no opportunity to increase capacity i appreciate the jump from 38 to 60 is very big, but we could definitely hit 70, 75k every game. Now, I say that as a frustrated Red member who keeps failing to get tickets in the new ballot system that's introduced this season. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I was, before the game yesterday, I was with Mark, uh, hello Mark, who's a silver member, and he was very much ranting about, he's applied for every single game this season as a silver member, and he has got none. Not a single one, no, from 14 applications or 13 applications, whatever it is. Not a single one. And remind me, how much is a silver membership? That's like 40 quid a year? Yeah, it's it's 40, 50 quid, something like that, I think. Um, It's a lot of money that the the, the club is then getting from you for... For nothing. Maybe not a huge amount. And he's far from his on his own when it comes to that i've seen it you know the fume on social media are silver members who are just not getting a look in when it comes to the ballot and um and feel like things have to change in terms of the stadium obviously the council there was a 
agreement with the council yeah. wasn't it, at the time that there was going to be 60,000 and it wasn't going to increase. And so I think Arsenal kind of stuck with that. I don't see they can get round it. I'm not sure they even could because of the design of the stadium, as Charlie says anyway. Um, it's an interesting one because you go back to two seasons, three seasons, and this, you know, no one's talking about yeah. it at all. You know, it's easy to get tickets. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're asking you, you know, bring a t- bring a friend for a tenner for Europa League games and stuff like that just to try and fill the stadium. And, you know, the amount of times that we sat there looking around at 25,000 empty seats a game. Still you know, see the cannon. Exactly. So it's uh, obviously now because it's, you know, Arsenal are a much better team. They're doing much better things. They're challenging for big honours that, um, that this issue is raising its head. And I, I can imagine how frustrating it is for Charlie mm-hmm. and tens of thousands of other Arsenal fans who are trying to get tickets and in this ballot system. And, you know, there's so many arguments about whether loyalty should be rewarded and people who've been going to the club for 20 years and were there through the difficult times and were still buying tickets, even when 25,000 empty seats were in the stands, should they be getting, you know, more chance of getting tickets than others who are coming in? It's like there's so much to sort of get going on when it comes to that sort of debate. But yeah, I don't... Hindsight is twenty twenty. Obviously, I don't think Arsenal would have been able to get the move to the Emirates if they'd have tried to get mm. seventy seventy five thousand. You know, there was a, it was a strict agreement with Islington Council that it was going to be sixty thousand and not more. So um, I don't think there was ever really an option because they would have just had to ended up going to Wembley or somewhere else out, outside the M twenty five if they were mm. if that was really the size of the stadium that they wanted to go for. Yeah, you're right. I remember that pretty well. Um, and I don't, and, and fr- like, frankly, you know, if you ha- hit the wrong time at Highbury and Islington or Holloway Road, if you're getting coming to the ground from there, like at the wrong moment, you would absolutely not be sold on a on a seventy seventy five thousand stadium. It, it, does, it, it feels like it's really intractable here because you know the other thing I would say is you know more games so that more people can go, but the players can't uh, feel like they're being flayed with the number of games they're they're playing now and you should reward you know you should reward the fans that that came through thick and thin but you you know it the atmosphere changed when more young fans started getting tickets and it, it just feels like we yeah I can't give an answer and, and I'm also especially in my role I'm ultra conscious that all I can do is kind of amplify really because you know we're I'm in a privileged position um what I can say is it is actually though it's it's kind of got the same way around media, you know, colleagues who never had to think once about whether they'd actually get to be in the Arsenal press box. It's now, it's a scrum to get there because it's, it's the mm. biggest ticket in town. And, um, you know, that's the, maybe the cost of, for, for fans, for everyone that wants to be there, that's the cost of it, Arsenal being a really good team. Yeah. And I think rather than one you have to accept, I think rather than the stadium capacity, I think it's more of a case of, come into a better sort of conclusion when it comes to the the ballot process and how tickets are given out because clearly the ballot process doesn't seem to be working and it's leaving too many people because there are there are some people that are getting sort of five and six am i right that have had have done really well on the ballot because it's random it is random yeah so basically everyone goes in and mark mark um who i was telling you about the silver member he was explaining it all to me yesterday like last season obviously it was like you had to get on at a certain time at 10 o'clock and you could have all those devices open and they felt i think the change was because they felt that was slightly unfair for people who are in jobs who couldn't be on there at 10 o'clock and mm. so they weren't get, getting the opportunity so now it's like a three-day window where you can just put your you all apply and then 
that window closes and then the ballot gets drawn out supposedly by random and you're supposed to have I don't know what the, the chance are like 20% chance or something I'm not sure but you know silver members who pay more than red members of course just it doesn't seem to be working and you can see that and obviously red members are unhappy about it as well so I think it's more of a case of Arsenal coming together with all the various sort of fan advisory groups the ticket I know there are sort of silver member people in place aren't there and red member they're, they're mm, appointed yes. people to the to the sort of to the board to to discuss things with Arsenal and I think hopefully at the end of this season or whenever everyone can sort of come together and come up with something that just seems to work a little bit better and there's fairer to to more people than than the process we are in um right now there's one here from Lenny he says question for Charles and James if you could pick only one from Saliba, Saka or Martinelli That's to horrible. never be sold who would it be? Personally, Martinelli is my favourite player, but I would not sell Saliba under any circumstances. That's a horrible question from Lenny, isn't it? You go first. It's your show. I don't know. Um, I. Oh my god! Who on? I. Oh, do you know what? I have an answer. So if that I will think help I you. have an answer, I think I'm going to say William Saliba. It's the correct answer, I would yeah. say. I and that pains me to say it. I think it for, for me, I mean I love Saka and Martinelli. I think I think it's between Saka and Saliba for me as much as I love Martinelli. Um and as you know, it pains to say it, as Saka's an Arsenal boy come through Hayland, you've got that sort of emotional attachment. I just think Saliba's ceiling is so high. He can be so good, he can be the best player in the world in this position. And I I think it has to be him for me but it's a difficult it's a really difficult one yeah I, I think you've you, you've come up with the sensible answer there um you know Saliba it's a sort of Van Dyke thing isn't it where one top top tier centre-back changes your world mm. and there are especially at the moment it seems there are many fewer of them than in other positions but do you know what the heart wants what it wants um and if you said to me Bukayo Saka only ever plays for Arsenal for the full length of his career. Yeah, I just want, I, that's what I want. I know it's probably not the right decision, but um, the right decision is to keep all three for all of their career. But yeah, if I had to pick one, um, just, I'm already thinking ahead to, it's probably like the year 2040 or something, isn't it? When, when Bukayo Saka eventually retires, having only ever worn the Arsenal in England shirt, the Emirates yeah. that day, mate, as he's as he's bowing out with his fourth Premier League, fourteenth Premier League title. Why not be ambitious? Um, yeah, that's the one I want. Yeah, no, I, do, I. If that question was, which player of the three do you think is the most unlikely player to stay at Arsenal for the entirety of his career? I'd give the same answer, and it'd be Saliba. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't, you know, as much as I would like, I say I'd want Saliba for the rest out of those three. I think he's probably the light, most likely to go, uh, and I think he will go. You know, I don't, I don't envisage Saliba being a one-club player by any means. He'll go and explore new things. I'm but... sure that will happen. It's going to be painful, but Saka, I could see if, as long as Arsenal can stay where they are and compete for major honours and show that, uh, you know, I think Saka, there's a good chance Saka could potentially stay with, with Arsenal. But um, yeah, well, Saliba's the most unlikely one. I won't go too long because we're already running long on this episode. But the one thing I would say that the, aside from the footballing thing, the joy of having someone like Saka, Saliba, Martinelli is their talent holds you as a club to such high standards. Because mm -hmm. like you say, 
Like, yeah, it will be hard. I can absolutely see Saliba being someone that understandably would want to get time playing for his boy, for you know, for his hometown team at PSG, and he wants to play for Real Madrid. And if he wants to do that, they will want to sign him. But if you are one of the best teams in the world, that's always going to be a persuasive argument to keep hold of Saliba. Um, it's like in, you know, you find this in the NBA when you have a a superstar like LeBron James or uh, Nikola Jokic or whoever, you have to keep making moves to stay at the top. And Edu Saka, uh, Edu and, and Arteta will always feel this pressure to be one of the best teams in the world. And luckily in football, you don't have to worry about what that does to your long-term future in quite the same way. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's good. They set this, their development has set the standard for Arsenal and it's sky high. Yeah, 100%. Well, look, I think that's a good chart, good time to uh, uh, leave it. What have you messaged me? Saka's in the England squad. Yeah. Ah, okay. No worries there. Without Is Eddie? That. No, just the no. three of them. So Ramsdale as well and and Declan, obviously. Uh, I wonder if that says about Eddie's injury for the weekend then, if he's not in the, if he's not in England. True, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Although, All right. Is that well, someone, yeah, someone else probably back is is what it also is. Well, where are we? One minute, ten, one hour, ten minutes. God, where did that time go? Where did that time go? You good at, chat, mate. You at Burnley at the weekend? No, I am in Leverkusen. You're in Leverkusen? Nice. Yes. Seeing Granite? Catch up with Granite. I hope so. I've um, really emphasised, you know, they're sort of there to speak to, to Xabi Alonso, among others. But I've really emphasised to buy Leverkusen that I'd like to speak to Granite too. Yeah. Whether Granite would like to speak to me. Why are you over there? What's that for? What? Oh, we're going to chat to chat to Jab. Well, no, really, they are. I mean, they've dropped two points all season, and they're just flying. And fun story to tell. And obviously, Granite has played his role in that. It's good to see. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh well, nice one. Enjoy the trip, mate. I am going to be at Burnley, not in the press box. I'm going to be in my seat again. Lovely. Uh, I will be back in the press box for the first game after the national race. Brentford is Brentford, isn't it? Brentford away. First Aaron game. Ramsdale. National break. So we'll be back at some point next week. I'm sure we'll set a date for uh, for next week. What are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about some transfer stuff, aren't we? we were get, what's your idea? Let's talk about the one player. If we had could sign one player in January for Arsenal for the second half mm. of the season, we were going to give our choice of who that was going to be. So, yeah, we've got some thinking time ahead of that one. Um, yep. Right, everyone, thank you very much for watching or listening to this as always. I'll be back tomorrow for my regular show, looking ahead to the game against Burnley at the weekend. Mr. Benj will be doing what Mr. Benj does all around the place, and he'll be heading over to Germany. So keep your eyes peeled for the stuff that he's going to be putting out from that, and hopefully some good exclusive quotes from Granite Xhaka. I hope so. How much of a difficult decision it was to leave Arsenal. Until then, everyone, have a very good day. Myself and James Benj will see you very, very soon. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.